Hello and welcome listeners to the Let's Talk About Grief podcast. If you've followed or listened to previous episodes, you'll know I like to offer hope by sharing my guest stories with you. You get to hear how they have navigated their own grief, which can be both helpful and healing, knowing you too can move forward after a loss. If this is your first time and you don't know me, I'm Andy Butte, your host and author of Grief's Abyss. And this is part of my mission to help demystify grief. Hello and welcome listeners to another episode in our show where we'll be discussing grief and loss, but looking at it through the lens of the culture and beliefs of an immigrant family, how the beliefs of the younger generations that have been raised in the US are often at odds when they're confronted by their family's culture and identity that's steeped in traditions of their origin. Our guest today is Krishma Thule Arora, and I'm so grateful that we have her here because this is something we've not spoken about, so I love delving into new topics. We know we have immigrant families all around us. I myself am an immigrant to Canada. We just assume that everybody thinks and grieves and does and has beliefs in our own culture. And we do not consider that when there's a challenge for somebody that hasn't been born in that country, those challenges I can only imagine are so much bigger. Would that be a correct statement, Krishma? Uh, Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, it's one thing to already be grieving, which is a challenging process in itself, but then to also have um, the cultural challenges put upon you at the same time is a lot. Yeah, for sure. Now, I haven't introduced our guest fully. Krishna has written a fiction book, From Ash to Ashes, and it possibly... Your understanding, looking back from the protagonist's point of view, Mira, on all the challenges she's going through, were a lot of these challenges what you yourself experienced, Krishma? Uh, Yes, definitely some of them. Some of the challenges that the protagonist faces, for example, such as um, the lack of mental health support, um, even the acknowledgement that mental health is an issue, Uh, I faced all of those things. You faced all of that. You actually had quite a loss, the loss of your young child. How have you grown as a person and how did that loss shape you? Where are you now in your life? I think that um, that loss was so profound that I really struggled to get back up from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's easier said than done that, you know, whatever hurdle may come your way, you just get back up and get going. But there are some things in life which are not as simply done. So, but it's a longer process perhaps, but you have to work at it. You have to work 
at getting better, you have to acknowledge that the person that you've lost is actually gone and not coming back. And um, there's also, you have to step back and take into perspective what your life is really about, what your purpose is, and what you want to do with the life that you have. So that was definitely a process for me, a process of many, many years. I mean, where am I now from then? I'm Well, I'd like to say, thank God, I'm in a much better place than I was since this tragedy. However, I'm not brand new and shiny anymore. You know, I I have a little bit of, uh, I have some marks and scars and um as you can say, it's your it's your battle wounds, right? Yeah, absolutely. Was it your culture that made it difficult for you to that took so long? You mentioned it was nine years. Was that just the culture and the beliefs? Well, definitely the culture, the cultural beliefs were an impediment to my healing because Culturally, there's generally a time frame that you give that you're given to mourn, and then generally you're expected to then you know move on. But it was much harder for me. And what I wanted to do was I really wanted to seek therapy or a counselor or to talk to someone. But I was told um, this was also, mind you, this was 20 years ago. The way. A therapist is seen today is very different from what a therapist was was presumed to be 20, 20 years ago. Um, so it was sort of seen as you don't want to see a shrink. That would mean that you're there's something wrong with you. That's you know for someone who has real mental problems. Or but today I think people go to therapy for many things. Yeah, it, there's the stigma around seeing a therapist has has yes. lessened for sure. Yeah. How was your journey? You are a Punjabi Sikh, I believe. That is yes. your background. Yes. How did that color the initial grieving process? You mentioned that you're given a specific time to grieve. Is that something that is cultural or was that western society because that happens in the west as well well i think it was i don't know if it was cultural at all uh in terms of the given the time to grieve i mean in terms of there's a period of like when someone dies then there's the the after 40 days there's a ceremony and a ritual and then there's like after a year you know there's like a like a memorial like a remembrance so I don't know if that essentially those cultural traditions were limiting or just the fact that I was young and I had lost a child and the idea was that we'll now have another child quickly in order to in a way, replace the the child that's gone, but obviously, no child can replace another. And um, I think that is still a cultural belief today. That very often is what we'll say to somebody who has lost a child that you can have another. Yeah, you cannot replace. In your book, you had the family who had come to the U.S in the 80s, and they seem to be facing large challenges. 
were those sort of some of the things that you in your family had experienced or was this just something you decided to explore for the book? Some of it we definitely experienced and other things uh, I decided to explore because even if it didn't happen in my family, I've seen it happen with others, you know, or um, in the community per se. And I wanted to explore those channels of thinking and those issues, which are often swept under the rug or are considered taboo topics that are not openly discussed. I wanted to sort of challenge the the stand the standard. Okay, because I believe in the book, I don't want to give too much away because we want readers to pick it up, but it's, I'm interested to see the differences in the challenges because one of the sons died uh, and died by suicide. We're talking about 20 years ago. So even the cultural shifts from then to now are, are even different, aren't they? But the book is set in the 80s, 90s. How did the family deal with that challenge of suicide? Well, I think suicide is a stigma in itself, um, regardless of culture. I think uh, not just in uh Punjabi culture, but in American culture as well, suicide is something that is looked down upon because what it does is that it it hints upon other issues that were present that people were not aware of, you know, and people would try to hide a suicide. It's different to say to die of an accident or a tragedy, to die of a heart attack, so sad. But to die of suicide means that you took your own life. So there was something going on there that was wrong. Because suicide in most religions is also considered a sin. That's true. So it's not necessarily the fact that it was the family's beliefs. Mm-hmm. It was the, the culture, the time when it was being brought up in the 90s, as you say. But yeah, you're right. It's still not talked about and all the underlying issues that the person had very often the family take it as it reflects on them that they didn't do something isn't it yes that's exactly why i chose suicide as a as the way of death because i wanted to show well one look what could have been avoided mm-hmm. if People had just been more accepting. And two, once it was even done, even then the family tried to hush it because it does show the underlying issues. And in in Indian culture, um, bringing shame upon your own family is considered, you know, it's not done in South Asian culture. Yeah, very much so. What do you hope the readers will take from your book, Krishma? What I really hope that readers will take from my book is a sense of a sense of like not just being able to resonate with it, because it can resonate with so many people. Mm-hmm. It can resonate with people who've experienced loss, but it can also resonate with people who've never experienced loss but have 
had a challenging um, coming of age story of their own. Or at the same time, it can resonate with people who um, have immigrated to another country and have found assimilation to be very difficult. Mm-hmm. It can resonate with people who are struggling to fit in, you know, whether it's because of their religion or culture or because of their sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but at the end of the day, when you summarize the whole book in a nutshell, what you see is there is everyone goes through a series of complex struggles in their life. And you see how different people react differently, how different people make their life uh, depending on how what their perspective is on life. You mm-hmm. have one family member who escapes, right, in terms of, right, suicide. This There's another family member who sort of can't face it at all and is is too cowardice for suicide as well so sort of drowns himself in addiction right mm-hmm. and there's your there's another character who decides to alienate her values that she grew up with and do what was right for her you know and then um and then the last and then of course the the, the protagonist is the is the real character the main character of her story you know she decides uh who she wants to be and what her what her life should look like and she does and Mm. she decides to turn everything negative in her life into positive and that's what I want the reader to do that after you read this book turn everything in your life that's negative into something positive find something positive in it in your story so rather than getting stuck in what you don't have, look and find the gift, if you like, mm-hmm. how you've grown even, um, where you may be today because of it. Yeah. Going back to how you described uh, different members of the family, how they dealt with it, and those are all coping mechanisms, aren't yeah. they, for people in grief? Yes. Grieving. And that's yeah. why... It's so hard for a family member to not judge a sibling. They're not grieving. They're not doing it this way. But that is how they're coping with the loss, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Because no one grieves the same way. Precisely. So you raise some beautiful questions and um, just food for thought for the readers as they're going to go through this book. Now, you also have a sister who married because that is the belief and it was an arranged marriage. Yes, yes. In the story. Mm-hmm. In the story, yes. Yes, yes. Had that happened to you or you knew people that that had happened to? Oh, many people have arranged marriages. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, it didn't happen to me, but in my family, but it has happened to other people. It's not unheard of that, you know, generally arranged marriages today are more setups. They're not forced marriages. Okay. But, but that is to say that it doesn't mean that these things don't happen. In some situations, they still do, depending on who you are, where you are. Um, and what the situation is. 
Okay, so it's more of a setup rather than being told we've chosen the person and this is what you're going to do. Exactly. Okay, because I believe there was a divorce and she married the person that she loved and that didn't work out so well either. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, you know, that that's the other thing that um, – it shows a little bit the complex web of marriage as well, mm-hmm. how marriages are not perfect, how they're, they're difficult, and um, they require a lot of work and sacrifice. Absolutely. And how you chose to portray that uh, speaks volumes because we assume once we get married, regardless, it's going to be a happy ever after event isn't it but whether it's arranged or somebody you choose it can still have the same outcome so it's not necessarily the family's beliefs or even your beliefs that it's just marriage is difficult what prompted you to write it it was it was the loss of my son Kabir um when he passed away I was I felt lost and um, and I could not go see a therapist because it was something that was stigmatized and I didn't really have access to any other mental health support. So the writing became an outlet for my emotions and a, yes, and a way for me to express the pain and the sadness that I was feeling. So uh, a lot of the times, People, when they read the book, at least people who know me, tend to get fixated on the plot. Well, what happened? And did this happen to you? Did this happen to someone in your family? But the truth is, it's not what happened in the book. It's the emotions in the book that are mine. And that's what makes the book very unique in its way. Mm -hmm. So it's when people read it, they're not necessarily going to connect to the story. They need to go a little deeper and feel heartfelt connection to the emotional component yes well I have to say when I finished the ending I couldn't believe the way you (laughs) ended it so I felt the emotional component there yeah well it's funny because I mean without giving the end and ending away I had um very different reactions about the ending. Some people thought they loved the ending and that's how they expected and thought that it how it should have ended that way. And other people felt, well, oh, they felt a little nostalgic about, well, we really thought this would happen and uh, that it didn't happen was a bit of a surprise for them. You know, it was a little bit of a turn and a twist at the end in the story. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that's what I mean. We look at these events through our own lenses, don't we? So you possibly were tugging on the emotions of perhaps something I was feeling and wasn't resolved. The other one's going, yes, that's how it ended. Yeah. Would you like to share your story with the, uh, the listeners about your young son, Kabir? Yeah, so my, uh, well, I don't want to share too much detail, but I know I shared it with you when we were off the air uh, uh, previously, but um, so my first child, my son, Kabir, passed away 
at the age of seven months old. And uh, I think I was maybe 24 years old myself, 24, 25 at the time. I was very young. And um, I mean, regardless of age, losing a child is a huge and profound tragedy. Um, but I think it was the fact that I was also so young and I was also a new mom and I had was just adjusting to being a mom and that it was really just too overwhelming to face uh, all at once. Mm-hmm. First, having the baby um, and then secondly, um, becoming a mother, um, taking on responsibility of being a mother and then losing the baby within all within less than a year. For me, I didn't know where to turn and what to do and where to run. I did not plan to write this book. I did not plan to publish a book. All it was was it was so much frustration and anger and sadness that was built up inside. And I didn't know who to talk to, what to do. So I sat down and started writing on a computer screen um, that did not judge me, did not judge my emotions, Mm -hmm. did not judge um, how slowly I was grieving. It did not judge how I felt. And I basically um, did a psychological um, practice, which is called displacement in a way. I put my emotions on to an object onto something else, mm-hmm. which was the keyboard. And my words just began to flow. And I decided to create a family who had um, faced a loss. And because I just didn't want to be them. I wanted to be some, wanted it to be somebody else, just not me. Okay, so you created a fictional family. This was happening to them, but not me. But at the same time, just writing your emotions out is very cathartic, is it not? Yes, absolutely. Because what it does is it it takes everything that's jumbled up inside, you know, which is about to overflow, and it starts to make sense of it. It Mm -hmm. starts to, you can then reflect back on it as a person so even if someone you know faces loss doesn't necessarily sit down and think oh now I'm going to write a book but just to write your emotions down is very therapeutic and helpful in a way so often though when people are grieving it's the emotional component that they want to run from so here you were being what I consider quite brave putting all your emotions out on the page on a screen what was it about that that helped you was it the fact that I heard you say you couldn't run you didn't know what to do was that a way of being able to sit and face what you were feeling yeah that's a really good way of putting it in fact um By sitting down and facing what I was feeling, I was able to sort through um, my emotions. And I have always been the kind of person not to keep things bottled up inside. I'm a talker. Um, I always like to sit down with someone and tell them how I feel. I'm very good at that. Some people are not, you know. Um, But because I did not feel comfortable 
Um, remember at this time I had already, I was in the UK. I was not in the US. I was living with my in-laws family. I was separated from my own family and my own close friends. So although my husband was there, it was a different dynamic because as parents, we had both lost a child. And although my mother was only a phone call away as a grandmother, she was someone who was already hurting and suffering and she really couldn't take the burden of my emotions. Mm. So, and because I was denied access to mental health or a therapist, there was no one I could, who was, um, you know, a neutral person, a neutral party where I could go and spill out my guts and my emotions to them. So really, this is why I had nowhere to turn. And this is why I do. The writing became my only therapy and my healing process. Mm -hmm. So here you were, a young mum. You weren't raised in the UK. You were raised in the States, were you? Yes, yes. So all your family and friends. I was living in a foreign country. Yeah. So again, not having your friends and family around to support you, it had to have been a very lonely journey. And was it the fact that your in-laws wouldn't accept the fact that you were going to receive therapy? Or was that your own belief that you chosen no it was um it was more my husband didn't believe that you know I was in a state where I needed to see a shrink you know he thought that was he was brought up with those traditional beliefs that you didn't go out into the world and tell strangers about your personal problems and struggles Mm. and um so that was the reason why and not only that but my in-laws and my husband both were were basically expecting me to move on by having another child and thinking that that would be the best way for me to grieve, where actually it wasn't. Um, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't mentally or even physically ready and prepared. Yeah. yeah. But I was sort of just like thrown into the deep end and I had to swim somehow. You said that you were a talker. Mm-hmm. And- Men aren't very good at hearing their wives' emotions. So I can't imagine that was easy for you at all. Was he of any support in the beginning? Well, he was of support, but at the same time, he was grieving himself. And I think he didn't know how to grieve either because he had never such a loss himself. And... I think being a man who is not as expressive uh, as I am, he found it difficult to talk about how he was feeling. And I could tell that he was keeping it bottled inside. And um, so it wasn't that he wasn't feeling anything or he wasn't grieving. I could see that he was in pain. But at the same time, The only way he could deal with it was to not think about it and was to distract himself with work and other things. And with this hope that I would be having another baby soon and then we would be able to start our life all over again. But for me, that was not my way. No, for sure. Well, your body probably wasn't 
available to to be dealing with another new newborn so quickly after all that was he at least able to speak to his family if they were all around him well in that way and that since i didn't have anyone's support nor my parents nor his parents and nor his support it was like 100 percent you know everyone had uh, you know had declared that that would be the best way to move forward would be to have another baby right oh, now as soon yeah. as possible so really i just how many people could i stand up against so you gave in by the sounds of it rather than yes three months later i was pregnant you were pregnant mm-hmm. and how did that affect you you were a new mother who had lost a child i can only imagine you'd be hyper vigilant Yes, I became very um, paranoid um, and also very anxious. That was the first time I had experienced very high levels of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And anxiety is still something that I have today. And although it's it's uh, much more controlled and under control than it used to be, there was a time that was a very high-functioning, anxious person. They call it high-functioning anxiety, someone with high-functioning anxiety. And uh, I've never been able to completely resolve it because Mm. it's just something that I live with now. You've accepted it and you live with. Mm -hmm. Being that way, how did your second child turn out? Was he happy? Is were you joyful? Did it did he mend the family as everybody had hoped? Oh yes, absolutely. But then the problem was that he was very spoiled because uh. no one wanted to let him cry, no one wanted to deny him anything. Um, because, you know, here he was, first of all, another son. And second of all, he was um you know, like the apple of everyone's eye. And uh, so it became an issue for me when he was a toddler because I realized that, um, you know, I can't keep living and raising my future children as if like tomorrow something terrible is going to to happen to them. I have to have some faith and live life normally. And that means set rules, let them cry, you know, do what you would do to raise um, a, a well-behaved well child. Yes. <laughs> My own sanity, at least. You know? <laughs> yeah. So but you... That, yeah, that you, was struck. I was always at ends, odd ends with everyone else. Okay. And that reminds me very much of how the protagonist in your book sort of was right right or was it odds with her family and her own wishes so not only are you grieving and you raise the point of grandparents are grieving as well but we never consider the extended family do we and your mom not wanting to take any more on because she's grieving but at the same time you needed your mum every every bit as much um and I don't think we recognize that at the time that they may not be available whether there was a space of like a continent between the two of you but have you been able to talk about it since with each other 
Well, to be honest, um, sometimes we talk about it in small doses, you know. Uh, when his birthday comes, when the day that he passed away comes about, and sometimes just certain things that remind me of him. Um, but I don't always talk about it, and not a lot is said, um, you know, it because it it's usually brings it brings tears to the eyes or it, it brings old heavy emotions back and um and the idea is that when we do think of him we do think of him with the gratitude of the other healthy children that we have and the gratitude of just the love that we shared with him for the short time that we had him for and in a way the blessing that he brought because when I had finally finished the book, I dedicated it to him in his memory. Yes. Yes. And uh, I had sort of promised myself that I would publish it out there for those who have especially face loss. And um, in a way to show them that I've been through that journey. And I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word overcome it. But I would say that I have learned to live with it mm -hmm. and to sort of be the hope and the beacon of those who have lost, but also can see that you can you can experience loss and still learn to live fully, you know, the life that you have. So, yeah. Is that your upbringing? Is that uh, your beliefs? Or is that? just you Krishma that those are your very own beliefs I think those are my own very my own very own beliefs however I feel like one's upbringing um definitely influences your thoughts your perspective your beliefs but I have to say that um I try to be as as much as a positive person as I can be and um, I don't know who that comes from because uh, I don't always see it in my own mom or whatever. You know, I feel like sometimes people can tend to focus on the negative. But um, but I, maybe that's what I've taken away from it. Maybe that's what his loss and his death has brought to me, this growth of my own character, this realization that um, there's nothing else except hope and faith and to stay positive um, because not much is really in our control. Mo mo most things are beyond our control. Yeah, for sure. We just never know what tomorrow mm -hmm. will bring. So I, I guess that's why they say live in the present and enjoy it. Well, yeah. I love your outlook and what, what a testament to your son, Kabir. Okay. Only knew him for a short time, but it sounds like you have found meaning and given the whole experience sort of, I don't want to use the word acceptance, acknowledged of what, acknowledgement of what you've gone through. Yes. And the gifts, if you like, and the mm. meaning that you've discovered at the other end. Yes. which is being positive. Have you mentioned that you at birthdays and the death date you celebrate? I can only imagine you share 
his memory with your other three children? I have four children. You have four children, so he would have been the fifth. That's right. That's right. I actually never imagined being a mom of five children. Um, that was my grandma. <laughs> wow. But uh, it just so happens, you know, um, it turned out that way. But um, I, I share his memory with all my children. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think that he should be forgotten or should be lost in the past. I think that because he was a sibling, uh, regardless of his age and how long he was on earth, he should still be given, um, you know, given his memory, given his name, uh, given his, um, you know, that, that at least my children should be aware of him mm-hmm. and what he was like, what he looked like. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So they know that. They have other siblings, not just the ones that happen to be around the table (laughs) fighting. Exactly. Yeah. Was your other pregnancies, did they bring about the same angst or with each one were you able to let go and relax and enjoy the baby? I had some difficult pregnancies. Um, The two after him were very um difficult not maybe so much the pregnancy well yes they were both um so they definitely brought a lot of anxiety um not until my daughter uh who's number four you could say um hers was definitely easier and better and by then you know a decade had already passed and uh, and then most recently with the youngest it was very difficult pregnancy but it didn't bring the anxiety for the reason that I was worried about the baby, it was just more of a difficult pregnancy. Okay. So um, at least you were able to relax and enjoy yeah. the mom as opposed to being anxious right off the bat. Yes. Yes. That took many years though. Oh, I, it's not, it's a process. It's not a one and done just because I've been writing on my computer. Oh. It takes time to integrate it all, doesn't it? Definitely. How long ago was that, Krishma? When I lost Kabir. Yeah. How old would he be now? Today he would be 19 years old. So here we are remembering him after all this time. Yes, yes, 19 years. Welcome, Kabir. We're Mm -hmm. talking about you on the podcast. Yes, yes. You must be so proud of your mom and her book. (laughs) yeah it really bring me to tears (laughs) oh i've been known to do that apparently (laughs) but that's if only um if only i could be sure that he knew or that i could see his face at 19 that would be something (laughs) i think so i think so Thank you so much for going there with me. I really appreciate it because loss, a death, regardless of whether you are in your home country or not, surrounded by family and friends, it is, it's a difficult process to go through. I just am so grateful that we got to have this conversation about immigrant families and hopefully it'll bring a little bit more awareness if your neighbor is from another country reach out 
we've all got differences. Just make their lives a little easier by kindness and being positive, eh? Mm -hmm. I agree. Definitely. Where can people find your book? And do you have a website? Yes, I do. My book is available on Amazon. It's also available on barnesandnoble.com, bookshop.org. And uh, I also have a website. It is krishmatuliaurora.com, which has the links to the book. And um, I also have an Instagram page that uh, about my book and my poetry that I also write. And it's uh, called uh, Krishma Writes. Krishma writes. We'll make sure we have all those and all your links in the show notes so our listeners can check check up on you and see what your book's all about. Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you so much, Anne. You're so very welcome. And uh, thank you for being our guest today on the show. Thank you. <laughs> well, listeners, that's a wrap, as I like to say. Bye-bye for now. Well, listeners, that indeed is a wrap. Be sure to follow us by clicking on the link and you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. And if you are feeling inspired, please leave a review. And if you are indeed grieving, please know you don't have to feel alone in your grief, but reach out. As a coach, I'm more than happy to chat with you on how coaching can both support you in your chaos and pain without forcing you to endure your grief-stricken world. You can contact me at anne at understandinggrief.com or you can visit my website at Understanding Grief. I'm Anne. Bye-bye for now.